Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thanks so much for making us a part of your day again today. It's the third Tuesday of the month, and that means it's a special edition of Top Docs Radio Show. We've we've begun a new partnership with Dr. Andrew Puglisi. He is an infectious disease specialist here in the Atlanta area, and he's been a guest on the show on a number of occasions, and every time he's come by, he's shared some Excellent information that has been both interesting as well as very useful for folks who were lucky enough to hear what he had to say. And today is going to be no different. He's going to be talking about Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease that uh, can affect a number of people that uh, have been treated for the disease with antibiotics and other measures, but still continue to have trouble with it. And they're going to be talking about um, the fact that Many of the medical community around our area don't even believe that Lyme disease is a problem in our state, when in fact, there are ticks uh, in our area that affect both our pets as well as us as humans and get us quite sick. And in fact, because so many people here in the medical community don't believe or understand that Lyme disease is right here, right now, it means that there can be some delays between the time the person is infected in that early period when they would probably have the best response to aggressive measures to get them better, and instead they end up languishing for years, going from specialist to specialist, trying to figure out what is wrong with them. And uh, Dr. Baglisi invited a couple of folks to join him on the show. I'm going to be joined by a a gentleman named David Baird, who's a Lyme uh, Lyme disease patient, uh, has been suffering with it for a number of years, get to hear his story, and Karen Hubberts, whose daughter also was one of those patients that uh, languished for a number of to- a number of years before finally ending up with a physician who said, "Hey, you've got Lyme disease. We got to get you fixed." So, without further ado, let's get on to Dr. Puglisi and his two guests. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Puglisi, Top Docs Radio, and this is my monthly show. And today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic here. In that's should be getting more awareness in Georgia, and that is Lyme disease. Uh, And my guests today are uh, Karen Herpert, who is the mother of one of my patients who has Lyme disease, David Bard, who actually is a patient of mine with Lyme disease, and his wife, Chrissy Bard, who um, is a veterinarian and will share with us a lot of the animal models on Lyme disease here in Georgia. Um, I'd like to start this show with uh, how there is so much denial in the uh, medical community on Lyme disease here in Georgia, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Saturday, I was at the gym working out, and um, one of the other clients at the gym, her husband last week was bitten by a tick, went to uh, his doctor, the tick was removed, and he inquired about Lyme disease. And the doctor very dismissively said, 
there is no Lyme disease in Georgia. Yet, he still gave the patient a prescription for doxycycline, which is one of the mainstay antibiotics we use in acute Lyme disease. So uh, with that, we're just going to open it up to um, the panel here on their experiences uh, as they try to get treatment for Lyme disease themselves or for their loved ones. And Karen, I want to start with you okay. because um, you and I were just talking about how difficult it was to find somebody to treat your daughter, Rachel, with Lyme disease. That's correct. It was very difficult. She was, uh, she's, our da my daughter is 23 years old now. She was a sophomore in high school when she first uh, came down with symptoms. And unfortunately, as you'll talk about, Lyme disease mimics a lot of other illnesses. We did not actually know of the tick bite. In hindsight, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure she showed me something that was a tick attached to her. I did not know that ticks could be the tiny little deer tick that they can be. Um, and I, I, did, I, just, I didn't catch it. So we didn't have the advantage of having a known bite. We were just dealing with her symptoms. And as her symptoms progressed from swollen knees to, um, she actually had some odd symptoms that aren't necessarily typically exhibited with Lyme disease. She came down with vertigo for uh, about six months. Um, she also had abdominal pain. Now we know now looking back that a lot of that was due to the inflammation caused by the bacterial infection. Um, she also developed insomnia, um, hypostatic, uh, hy uh, orthostatic hypotension. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and um, gosh, a lot of other th a lot of other symptoms. Uh, Short-term memory loss. Um, it progressed over a period of about five years before she finally got a diagnosis of Lyme disease. We were told repeatedly, um, and we didn't know to look for Lyme disease actually until fairly late in the game. But when we did become aware of Lyme disease and that it could cause the kind of symptoms she was having, and we had ruled out so many other illnesses, uh, when we started asking about Lyme disease, we were told repeatedly that there was no Lyme disease in Georgia. And uh, that included some infectious disease doctors who should know better. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and that is part of the problem that we are experiencing is, uh, first of all, the testing that is involved with Lyme disease. Um, it, I don't know where it is written that it's an absolute 100% that the test is either positive or negative. If it's positive, you have Lyme disease. If it's negative, you don't have Lyme disease. If you look at the literature, and I don't want to get too academic here, but uh, the test is very sensitive is very specific for Lyme disease. In other words, if you're test positive, yes, you, you know. Uh, but it is not that sensitive of a test. In other words, not everybody uh, tests positive that actually has it. Now, if you read the literature, it could be anywhere from 50% to 75%. I've actually seen it as low as 25% uh, in some of the literature. So again, it's almost at best a 50-50 shot whether or not you're going to test positive for the disease if you have it. Um, but uh, I want to shift over to David because, again, you mentioned how Lyme disease can mimic so many other diseases. And David, you went through a host 
of other diagnoses before somebody did a Lyme test. And fortunately for you, you tested positive. And I want you to tell the whole story, David, because, you know, I do share your story with many of the patients I see because it's very unique. So, David, please share it. Well, thank you, doctor. Um, I may be a little stream of of consciousness here, so if you can pull me back if I need to. But um, essentially, I was a federal law enforcement officer uh, sent into uh, terrain on a fugitive hunt. Um, I was in this situation for about 18 months. Uh, During that time, I had at least one uh, classic Lyme rash. Uh, Went to a doctor for it uh, here in Georgia. Uh, The fugitive hunt was up in North Carolina. Uh, the doctor, uh, unfortunately, you know, was a family practitioner. Uh, he missed the diagnosis. This was back in 1998. Um, so, you know, basically the next four years were kind of a case study in what untreated Lyme is like. Uh, before then, um, you know, I was also in the military reserves. Um, I had passed innumerable f- uh, physical fitness tests, uh, health exams, uh, you know, completely clear medical history. So, you know, there was nothing else going on. Um, so uh, much like uh, um, she was describing for Rachel, her daughter, um, mine started with my joints, started with the knees, but I was a runner. I was a martial arts instructor. Um, so I just figured I'd already put two or three lifetimes worth of wear on my knees, and, you know, this was to be expected. All my karate instructors had already had knee surgeries, so... Um, but then things uh, started happening that didn't, you know, you try and fit what you're feeling into some explanation, and you never want to think, hey, I'm healthy, I'm bulletproof, uh, I've never had any health problems, how could this be happening? Well, a lot of things started happening, uh, but it took about four years for it to really bring me down, and that's when I started having neurological symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms, uh, sleep problems, insomnia, uh, pain, uh, especially in my rib cage, uh, you know, different locations, uh, um, just a whole, you know, a multi-system, you know, across the board, you know, things were not right. The other thing we really noticed was uh, that my immune system was not handling uh, challenges to it very well. Um, you know, I, I would be sick for longer than anyone else, and I would catch more things than anyone else in my family. Uh, and this was completely, you know, unnatural for me. Um, so from the time I had the rash in 98, it was documented uh, until uh, I became bedbound uh, in 2003. That was basically five, five years. Uh, during that time, I saw between 15 and 20 doctors, specialists, uh, you name it, uh, you know, gastroent- uh, gastroenterologists, infectious disease specialists, um, you know, uh, across the board. I uh, had every kind of test done, full body you know, scans, CT scans, uh, brain MRIs, uh, blood panels out the wazoo, no Lyme test, not even the ELISA test, which you were referencing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I had 18 months in, you know, in wooded terrain, uh, since it wasn't up east, that didn't you know, send a lot of flags. Uh, but it was along the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. So anyone who thinks that ticks gonna, are going to stop at state borders or county lines are just woefully, if anything, you know, moving south is a, you know, probably gives them uh, longer life cycles. Um, now, I was also unaware of the life cycle of the tick. I was uh, infected uh, in the spring, uh, and, you know, later you learn about the nymphs and, you know, the three-year life cycle and uh, how small they can be and still be infectious. And, 
you know, none of that, none of that information is really out there. And it's very frustrating to see it after the fact, after, uh, you know, when you're at a point where it does you little good, uh, when, uh, uh, it could have done you a lot more good. But so anyway, uh, in 2003, I, I became bed bound. Uh, by this time, the diagnosis that they had settled on was, uh, post-viral fatigue syndrome, um, and then that transitioned into chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, so I was seeing uh, the best chronic fatigue specialist we could find, uh, probably one of the best on the eastern uh, seaboard um, up in uh, D.C. at the time. And uh, that lasted for two years. And during those two years, I was pretty much out of it. I was bedbound. I was not thinking straight. Um, I'd be lying in bed uh, with the, the shades pulled in a darkened room because light hurt my eyes. I went, you know, really couldn't watch TV, couldn't listen to radio because I couldn't process things very well. Um, and, you know, the thought would occur to me that I should be bored, but then that thought would just kind of slip away and I just kind of keep laying there. Um, that brings us to 2005 when uh, the uh, chronic fatigue specialist I was seeing um, had another patient who was a Girl Scout and uh, her mother kept insisting that she be tested for Lyme because she had pulled a tick off of her, she had had a rash, but she was told by her local doctor that since the tick had not been attached for more than 48 hours, there was no way it could transmit any diseases, especially not Lyme, even though she had the rash. So she had been labeled with chronic fatigue and she had been suffering for years. So uh, he decided to test a cohort of his non-responders. I was in that uh, group or a group of his patients, his chronic fatigue patients that didn't respond, you know, that were kind of outliers. Uh, and that's when I came up with my first positive um, Western blot test and started on my first pick line. Uh, so since then, I've been uh, under the care of a, a number of good physicians, including yourself. Mm. Um, and I've gotten from being bedridden to, you know, where I could... Um, you know, come here today, you know, talk and kind of, you know, seem kind of coherent, maybe. But uh, so that's kind of a thumbnail of what uh, happened to me. And uh, unfortunately, uh, David and Karen, uh, these stories are all too common that I hear in the office uh, almost on a daily basis um, where, and interestingly enough, um, Sometimes the attitudes of the doctors and clinicians change drastically when you mention Lyme disease. Um, I have a 15-year-old that I'm treating, and uh, she's followed at one of the children's hospitals uh, for care for another disease, and she came down with Lyme disease. Um, and when her mother mentioned Lyme to her doctors, uh, and th these are doctors that have been taking care of this kid for numerous years uh their whole attitude changed towards mom and the daughter it, it was uh we had that experience yeah um and to me that is just you know okay even if you're like well i'm not too convinced to to just dismiss somebody like that i think is um you know i don't know how else to say it appalling um especially if you can't offer another answer mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem is that um, in some instances, if you do the appropriate workups and you don't have anything else, Lyme disease needs to be entertained. And, you know, it's always been my uh, belief that Lyme is a clinical diagnosis. You have to make the diagnosis clinically because um, 
which takes in history and physical, and in some instances, it's also ruling out other diseases, just like chronic fatigue syndrome. You just don't tell people, oh, you have chronic fatigue syndrome. No, you have to do a litany of tests. You have to rule out so many other diseases that can give you fatigue. But um, I want to move on. Christy, I mean, first of all, you have to watch David go through all of this. That's number one. But yep. you, as a veterinarian, um, and you and I have shared this in the past, you can get your dog vaccinated for uh, Lyme disease. You can get them tested and vaccinated for Lyme disease. Here in Georgia. In Georgia and pretty much anywhere in the United States. Um, but there's no Lyme disease in Georgia. Well, maybe it doesn't transmit to humans and just to dogs. But yes, there's Lyme disease in the state of Georgia. Um, dogs that come in to go into your veterinarian and get a heartworm test, there is the ability to do what is called a 4DX heartworm test, which tests for heartworm disease and Lyme disease and a couple of the other tick-borne diseases like Ehrlichia and anaplasmosis. And there are maps that are available online where you can go and look and see that your dogs are being tested and they're coming up positive for several different tick-borne diseases, even in the state of Georgia, all throughout the United States. Yeah, that is amazing that there is such a disconnect between the uh, medical community mm -hmm. and the veterinarian community mm -hmm. on this disease. Um, by the way, I just want to say that you're listening to Dop Docs Radio. Uh, I'm Dr. Andrew Puglisi, and we're discussing chronic Lyme disease here in Georgia and how it's being not diagnosed. Um, so, Karen, back to you. I just want to ask you, so, all right, finally, we made the diagnosis for Rachel. We did. Uh, it was not an easy diagnosis because um, she did not test CDC positive for the Lyme disease. Um, but by then, by the time we had requested the Western blot test that David mentioned, um, we knew enough to ask to see the results ourselves. And so I knew uh, from what I had researched that um, there were bands in the testing that were indicators that she could be positive for the disease without testing fully CDC positive. And the fact that she had been sick already at that point, about five years, um, probably made it that much harder for her to test positive because the test is not actually testing for the bacteria. Right. It's testing for antibodies against it, and your body may not be producing all of those antibodies five years later. Yeah, and that's one of the problems when we talk about the Lyme spirochete. Um, this is pretty much at a very advanced bacteria. Um, smart. It's smart. very smart. It has so much different chromosomal information as what's known as plasmids. It has 21 plasmids, as opposed to other bacteria, more simple bacteria have like one or two. Uh, the only one next down the line is chlamydia, and that yeah. has seven. Wow. So this, this thing can morph. It's a shape shifter. Um, and because of this, it can sequester in the body. It can sequester in different areas. Uh, it can make itself undetectable. It has stealth mode, for lack of a better term. And that also contributes to a lot of the misdiagnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, David, you and I, we talked about this recently um, with the CDC changing um, its awareness of Lyme disease in the last two years where prior to 2013, 
they, they expected that the prevalence for Lyme disease was about 30,000 new cases a year. And then all of a sudden, they come out and say, well, it's more like 300,000. How, you know, how do you go about, you know, missing something by a factor of 10? Well, it's been kind of touched on here already, but what's very frustrating just as a patient and what we've been dealing with for years and seeing no advance, mm -hmm. uh, frankly, is the testing protocol that the CDC has put out there. And they kind of cover themselves by saying it's a testing protocol for surveillance purposes, not for diagnostic purposes, and then they fall back on Lyme being a clinical diagnosis, as you mentioned earlier. But that's extremely naive because in today's healthcare environment, doctors won't test. They want to be able to, you know, have a test, and then that supports um, further treatment. Because with Lyme, I mean, you're talking about a fairly, you know, uh, uh, substantial, expensive treatment especially when you have the neurological manifestations, you're going to have to, you know, um, oral antibiotics at that point are not going to cut it. You're, going to, you're talking IVs, you're talking pick lines or catheters inserted for uh, IV drugs, uh, and then you start getting insurance companies involved, and you start getting expense involved, and you start getting a you know, substantial commitment involved on the part of everyone. So before, you know, uh, from what we have seen before, you know, doctors want to go that way, they want to test. I mean, it's just, it's just natural. Well, the, the testing that's available, as you know, Karen mentioned, are antibody tests. Well, <clears throat> there's been a lot of research done showing that uh, Borrelia, the, the bug that causes Lyme, uh, and, and we've talked about this before too, is basically, I think of it more as a parasite than a pathogen because it, it's there for the long run. and. Uh, there have been uh, some uh, research done by uh, uh, some different people affiliated with different CDC clinics um, where they've shown that Lyme uh, infects your neural tissue, and not only does it affect the tissue, it becomes an intracellular parasite into your nerve cells. So it, not only is it across the blood-brain barrier, it's also inside your nerve cells. And it's also extremely slow, slow growing. You mentioned the 21 plasmids. I, you know, decades ago I got a little BS degree in uh, biology, um, and the idea that this bug has more genetic information than any other known bacteria—that that's staggering to me. To me, that should make it one of the perfect models for study. Uh, if I was a microbiologist or a medical bacteriologist, uh, you know. Through natural selection, nature abhors inefficiency. There's no way this bug is going to carry the overhead of all that genetic material if it doesn't provide it a substantive uh, selective advantage. So this should be the model that everyone's looking at uh, because, you know, it's pleomorphic. It, ha it can, has a cell wall version, an on-cell wall version. Uh, that makes it harder for your immune system to detect. Uh, it has, you know, maybe getting a little too technical, but the discussions we've had uh, for ways that can evade your immune system. I mean, this is the Barney big boy of infectious agents. Uh, well, it, again, you know, we've talked a lot about biofilms in the past and all of this stuff. And these, you know, infections are becoming more sophisticated in general uh, just because we have more people living longer with chronic diseases that um, 
all of these comorbidities really play into it uh, uh, would also in association with previous exposure to antibiotics and everything like this so yeah from from an evolutionary point of view the Lyme bug is you know it's like the grays compared to us if you, you want to if you believe in aliens uh, Chrissy mm -hmm. real quick um, your dog comes down with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. How easy, well, again, it's easier to treat your dog because you're not dealing with insurances. You know, you're not dealing with insurances. It's easier to diagnose. Um, if you want to, you can also get a Lyme vaccination, which will help protect against the Lyme infection itself. Um, and it's really easy to treat. You get them started on antibiotics. There are other tests that you can do to confirm infection if you want to. Um, but you get them started on some antibiotics, usually doxycycline, just like in humans. Um, and use that for two to four weeks or longer, depending. Some dogs will go into sort of a chronic carrier state. They will respond to treatment for a period of time, and then they'll come back with symptoms again, and then you go ahead and treat them again. It's a little bit, a lot easier in animals without all the red tape and bureaucracy that's associated with Lyme disease in humans. It's, <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself, and you know, the, along with the bureaucracy, I like to include egos yes. because, you know, you get these people that came up with their initial statements 17, 18 years ago on Lyme disease. And, you know, for as far as they're concerned, it's written in stone. This is all you need to know. Um, I just pulled out one of my re reference textbooks on internal medicine, and I looked up chronic Lyme disease, and they still go back to those two original studies mm -hmm. that say long-term antibiotics just don't work. Despite the fact that the article that David and I read uh, from 2007 in Clinical Infectious Disease, which applied actual science behind the use of long-term antibiotics and how well it works, uh, it still falls on deaf ears throughout the whole community. And it's becoming even more tough for myself to treat Lyme patients now uh, because of insurance reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's bad enough with everything that you do. They're you know, making it much worse now. What frustrates me about that, though, is yeah. I can, I haven't totaled it, but yeah. my daughter went through testing like David talked about, she had MRIs, uh, lumbar puncture, blood tests after blood tests, uh, all kinds of skins. Um, over a five-year period, the amount of money the insurance company kicked in for testing for her, if someone had tested her for Lyme effectively early on, we would have saved the insurance company hundreds of thousands of dollars without exaggeration. Um, no. Not to mention what it cost us personally as a family. Right. So that economically doesn't make sense to me why this isn't, at least on the insurance company's radar, to get more. Uh, well, again, yeah. and unfortunately, when you look a lot of times with the insurance companies, they just have their little tick lists and nobody's looking and they're like, wait, wait. Well, let's go talk to them. This is crazy. <laughs> I wish we could. Um, <laughs> you know, just to give you a couple other uh on my end that is very frustrating is when the insurance companies every once in a while will actually pay for treatment for Lyme disease with intravenous antibiotics and then come back two years later and do an audit and say, no, we want that money back. That's crazy. Or, you know, and, and again, sometimes we, you know, 
they'll go to the home care company and say, you know, we want all that money back. And the home care company is like, well, okay, then we'll go to the patient and get that money from them. Um, it, you know, and it, it's like, really? How can you do that two years after the fact? But uh, that's the way healthcare is today. Uh, David, you wanted to say something. No, I, I was just going to say, to me, really, the testing is the one of the big bugaboos because the other issue, not just the expense of the test, time is not on your side when you have a Lyme infection because once it goes neurologic, it becomes harder to treat, it takes longer to treat, and your quality of life nosedives. I mean, I've, I've seen that. I mean, I am a case study in what happens if you don't treat Lyme because I went seven years from uh, infection until diagnosis and the start of treatment. Um, so, you know, it's very clear to me uh, that, you know, timing is everything. So with, again, with the testing, what you were talking about earlier, the, the ELISA test, the, the CDC is promoting and still has for, you know, over a, well over a decade, you know better than mm -hmm. I do, but promotes a two-tier testing system. And the whole idea in an effective two-tier testing system is you want that first tier to give you more false positives than it gives you false negatives. You want it to lean on the side of saying, hey, you've got the disease, so let's test you for the second tier, instead of leaning on the side of saying, you're clear, don't worry about it, you don't need any more testing. Well, the ELISA test, does the, as you mentioned with the statistics, does exactly what you don't want an initial test to do. And the CDC still, in the face of incontrovertible data, still has not addressed this. And what that, what that is doing, and this is part of that iceberg syndrome you mentioned earlier where, you know, there we've, we've been reporting 30,000, now we think it's really 300,000 a year, could be more than that because the testing is so poor mm -hmm. and you know so those people aren't even getting to the second tier of testing um and i mentioned a, a relative of mine to you who mm. had two western blots done a month apart and she was reactive on the bands of the western blot uh but she was reactive to different bands a month apart the same person and the western blot is the best test available that's the second tier test so she was still reactive she still was showing antibodies but she had you know different was showing different antibodies so it could be two different it could have been two different patients if you didn't look at the name same laboratory you know so to me you know that's what i always come back to because i don't want to see other people have to go down the road that that Rachel's gone down, that I've gone down, because it's so needless. You've got to catch it early. But this, what the, the CDC and what other medical groups are promoting as the way to be tested for Lyme sets you up to fail in many ways. And it sets the doctors up who just want to treat their patients. It sets them up to fail because they have no other testing options because there's nothing else recognized by the larger medical community or by the CDC other than these antibody tests. Uh, again, you're listening to Top Docs Radio. Uh, I'm Dr. Andrew Puglisi, and today I have a panel here. We're talking about chronic Lyme disease. Um, it, you know, we, we've been talking about all of this, and it, it, it's. I'm hoping that your stories reach a lot of other people that are very uh, frustrated with this disease. Um, you know, for myself, in treating, uh, I feel at times my, my hands are tied. Um, and I really, that, that to me is personally frustrating. Um, you know, I, I just saw a gentleman 
from originally from Boston, big, strong guy. Um, he has trouble swallowing. He has garbled speech. Um, MRI was done of his brain. It shows multiple white matter lesions. Um, he's been seen by several different neurologists. Uh, he's had spinal taps. And all of the neurologists tell him the same exact thing. It's not MS. They won't tell him what it is, but it's not MS. <laughs> Go ahead, Well, Karen. that's how we found, that's actually how we got to Lyme disease ourselves, because Rachel had was going for her third type of test. Mm -hmm. She'd had the lumbar puncture. She'd had the MRI. Fortunately, yeah. she had, did not have lesions at that point. But, mm -hmm. but her symptoms, because she was having numbness, um, some, uh, by the time she was diagnosed, she was numb above her knees. She mm -hmm. was having trouble walking. She had required a handicap pass. Um, she was almost in a wheelchair, probably should have been in a wheelchair. And she, um, she'd had, she was going for that third test with a neuro-ophthalmologist who was looking, at, uh, looking for MS. And he told us, <clears throat> he said, I'm, I shouldn't say this, but I'm 99% sure you don't have MS. Well, in preparation for that appointment, I thought, well, I need to get more knowledgeable about MS myself. I went to the MS Society website, and they have a wonderful page. I need to send them a nice letter and thank them for this. But they have a wonderful page that says these are uh, illnesses that mimic multiple sclerosis that you need to rule out. And I had no idea Lyme disease could cause neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had really very little knowledge of what Lyme disease was. And... Um, the, the neuro-ophthalmologist, a very, very intelligent man, when he told us it wasn't MS, I said, well, we're waiting on a Lyme disease test to come back. He goes, there is no Lyme disease in Georgia. <laughs> didn't even look at us. Yeah. And more importantly, didn't say, where else have you been? I mean, maybe she'd been to the yeah. Northeast if you only believe it's in the Northeast. He didn't even ask. Uh, and again, <laughs> yeah, um, very. this is very frustrating. Um, and... David, you pointed it out, and last year I was at a conference, and it was the very first time I ever heard a lecturer say this, and he said, the earlier you can treat Lyme, the better the outcome. And I almost fell out of my chair because that was the first time I ever heard it. Uh, it there, the awareness is coming along, unfortunately, at a glacial pace. But Karen, back to you. This is such a great story, and not because I was involved in it, but... What, let's okay. hear what Rachel's doing okay. now. Okay. Well, first of all, let me tell you, one of the first things we were told when we did know it was Lyme disease is that the veterinarian community knows more about it than yes. the doctors here. Yep. So that's not just your opinion. That mm -hmm. is fact. Um, we actually initially could not find a doctor in the Atlanta metro area to treat our daughter. We went to uh, McDonough to a doctor, country doctor, who happened to be very knowledgeable and she started her on antibiotic treatment. She also did additional blood testing and sent it to a lab in California that looks yeah. at tick diseases more thoroughly. But she also, based on her history, based on the, t the many illnesses that had been ruled out, based on all of that, she went ahead and started her on treatment. And Rachel did exactly what you would expect of a Lyme patient. She had the Herxheimer reaction, which is unfortunately horrible to watch when your, um, the bacteria starts to die off. You actually get worse before you get better, and it goes in cycles as it hits the b bacteria. But um, so she started treatment. We were about three months into that treatment when her doctor moved to California because she had an ailing parent. 
So we had to find somebody else to pick up treatment. Couldn't find anyone in Georgia. I actually had called your office, uh-huh. and you weren't taking patients at right. that time because yeah. of the things you've already said. Yeah. Um, we met someone who had moved here from Baltimore, and she had been being treated by a doctor there. And so I flew my daughter to Baltimore to see this doctor. She continued her treatment until, by the grace of God, we got back with Dr. Puglisi. And I got to tell you, I I credit you and your staff with saving her, really saving her life, certainly putting her back to a full life. Well, yeah, she's about to graduate UGA. She is. She has been off all medication now for one year, uh, which is a huge marker for us. Celebrated it. And and she is uh, she lost a whole year of her college education. She, like David, was, she, I wouldn't say she was actually bedridden. She was sofa-ridden for a year. She was really incapable of doing academic work or any kind of work and um, could barely walk. So she lived on our sofa at home for a year. But after treatment, uh, and especially the IV treatment, that's really what finally took care of most of her neurological symptoms, she is now year-free of all medication and she's um, about to graduate magna cum laude from the University of Georgia. And she is um, job hunting. <laughs> and she's back to full life, full energy, full uh, academic. Her brain is back. She doesn't have the um, short-term memory loss that she had. Um, she just, it's, everything's easier again. And she is also recently engaged. So it's, we've got a great success story. But it really, absolutely, is the result of quality medical care and those antibiotics. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Chrissy. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to see research for Lyme disease go? Probably two specific areas. One is to improve the testing so that we have more accurate diagnoses. You can get them done earlier. And then you can start treatment earlier. And then also better treatment options. Um, along with allowing the insurance companies or having the insurance companies maybe acknowledge and validate that there is Lyme disease out there and that it does need to be treated and paid for. David, almost a little something similar because, you know, both from an overview of Lyme disease and something that you're dealing with personally on a daily basis. Um, Well, Treatment options, I, I would have, for me right now, at the stage I'm in, um, you know, the, the overriding question that is very frustrating is how much of the symptomology I have is permanent damage, permanent neurological damage, or how much of it is still treatable. And since, you know, I'm still on antimicrobial protocols and I'm still getting flares, or as Karen mentioned, Herxheimer reactions from those, um, you know, really that only gives you one logical option, and that is to continue treatment. If you stop reacting to the antimicrobials, and um, then maybe you're at a different place in the road. Since I'm not there yet, um, you know, what are your options? What are the treatment options? And this is what we talk about every time I I come in and and see you. You know, is there anything new? What is the state of the art? Is the state of of the art even inched forward any? so that's the most frustrating thing to me. And then, as Christy mentioned, you know, the other thing is you just don't want to see anyone else get in the situation you're in and get there needlessly. 
and our the public health and uh, you know primarily the CDC is not helping that situation in my opinion uh, so much more could be done so much more just from an awareness point of view um, so th those are you know uh, those are the two big things for me but as, as someone who's been dealing for this for a long time uh, I, I want to be cured I want to get on the other side of this and it's just what we are confronted with over and over is that the state of the art just isn't there yet for some people um, you know I was seven years before I started getting any treatment any antimicrobial treatment and you know the neurological damage uh, that you know specifically specifically those last two years that kicked in with uh, my heart my blood pressure heart rate uh, neurological problems cognitive problems uh, you know those have not resolved uh, they've gotten better but they have not resolved so what do you do you stay in the trenches and you keep going to doctors who are a little more enlightened and who are willing to you know not just practice shake and bake medicine not just follow a checklist somewhere and that's what you're left with uh, my belief with Lyme disease is not only are we dealing with this nasty little bug that can morph, but I also believe, and you and I have talked about this in the past, it's the genetic, the, your own genetic makeup and how you interact with that bug that, you know, makes it that it's been this devastating with you, why we see relapses in some patients and not others. Um, Karen, I'm going to finish with you because you're a journalist. And what is your wish to see how we could get this message out there better? Well, things like what you're doing today are excellent to build awareness. Um, I think it would be great if the CDC would do a better job of educating physicians so that they'd be on the lookout for this. Um, I agree with everything everyone else has said, better testing, better uh, treatment options. Um, I just think it's a life-altering illness, and the more people we can keep from suffering from it, the better. Thank you. Uh, guys, I want to thank everybody. I know this was heartfelt for many of you, especially Karen and especially David, who's living with it. Karen watched her daughter go down and come back up. Chrissy, you know, uh, I know what it's been like for you all these years with David. Um, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for this show. It really is, uh, was a wonderful. Uh, again, this is Top Docs Radio. I'm Dr. Andrew Puglisi. We talked about chronic Lyme disease here in Georgia. Join me next month when we talk about sports injuries and the increase in teenagers. What a great piece of, of work Dr. Puglisi did on that particular show, sitting down with patient David Baird and parent of a patient of Lyme disease, Karen Hupperts, um, sharing their stories. Um, and clearly, we got a lot of way, a lot of work that we need to do yet on fighting uh, Lyme disease getting greater awareness, particularly outside of the areas where we clearly know that uh, it's a prevalent problem. Um, you know, the Southeast isn't necessarily thought to be a place where one can contract Lyme disease, but speaking with uh, David's wife, who is a veterinarian who treats animals on a regular basis dealing with Lyme disease, and clearly uh, these folks here whose families have certainly been affected uh, by trying to deal with this long-term disease when it's not dealt with 
quickly and and promptly. Um, so Dr. Puglisi was great uh, doing this show with these two folks and, and sharing their stories. I look forward to getting together with them next month to uh, to talk about sports-related injuries, particularly among our young people. And uh, you may or may not know that uh, it is coming up in May, National Posture Awareness Month, and uh, Dr. Leanna Cart, a local uh, chiropractor, stopped by to talk about that. So check it out real quick. I'm sitting down with Dr. Leanna Cart. She's a chiropractor with Northwest Chiropractic located over on Howell Mill here in Atlanta. And we're taking a few minutes to sit down with her because coming up in May, it's National Posture Awareness Month. And I have to tell you, of late, I have actually been more aware of my posture uh, just because I've noticed as I've gained a little weight here in the last few months, it's kind of dragging my gut forward and I'm getting this big bow in my back. So I find myself slumped over in, the, in my chair and I'm shoulders back, sit up straight, that kind of thing. So I'm actually... It's, it's good timing. Absolutely. <laughs> and that voice that you hear there is Dr. Leanna Card. So thanks for taking some time to come by and introduce us to the practice and then talk about a couple of things related to our posture that folks may not be realizing or, or going on. So I appreciate you sharing some information with the folks. Oh, thank you for having me. May is National yeah. Posture Awareness Month. I had no idea until I met you. See, your mother always told you, sit up straight. And she was right. That's right. So talk about that. Sure. Tell me about your practice a little bit real quickly, and then we can kind of get into some of, the, some of the things we want to be thinking about that can give us a little bit greater spine health and probably overall health by managing our posture better. Absolutely. I uh, have been practiced here in Atlanta for the past 28 years, and I'm proud to say I'm a life graduate. Mm -hmm. Located right up there in Marietta. Yes, and one of the big factors in today's world is the epidemic of sitting at a desk and using technology. So we see everything from children to seniors, and most chiropractors do. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity to just put the light bulb on for people about how you do need to sit up straight. And with all this wonderful technology that we have in our society, we need to think about how it's affecting our structure, because our structure keeps us erect each day. Yeah. And so um, it does have ramifications. Yeah. And talk about that a little bit, as you mentioned some of the technology, because yes. from what I understand, when we sit and look down at some device, it's doing some crazy things as far as the angles and the weight that it puts on our on our neck and yes. spine. Talk yes. about that. The, the latest studies show that forward head tilt, and think about your own kids for a second, as well as yourself. Mm -hmm. Everybody has some type of smartphone, right. tablet, laptop, and that forward tilt studies show have increased uh, the weight of your head on your spine by 10 pounds, which can lead to neck pain, headaches, and most of the studies show now decreased lung capacity as well. So we want to uh, make people aware that you need to pull that screen up to eye level so that you're not doing that constantly consecutively on a daily basis. I see. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably easy to not even really realize just how much oh, your head absolutely. actually weighs. Doesn't it weigh like 15, 16 pounds or oh, sometimes yes. more? Like a bowling ball on a stick. And yeah. so we chiropractors in the state of Georgia at the Georgia Chiropractic Association want you to practice safe tech. So whether it's a child, an adult, at work, kids playing on tablets, it's very important that you become aware of that repetitive forward head tilt because that extra poundage increases the uh, factor of possibly affecting the structure. 
And also the nerves that control everything in our body. And as I mentioned, as I was introducing you, um, one of the things I've realized, and, and I don't know if it's related to the fact that I have, as I mentioned, gained a little bit of weight, about 15, 20 pounds over where I had been, that I do find myself where my shoulders are kind of slouching forward just a little bit. When I'm sitting down in a chair, for example, Absolutely. at a desk doing some work, I'll find that my rib cage is kind of sitting down towards my stomach. You yes. know what I'm saying? Let yes. my back bow out. And and I keep telling myself to sit up. And it, it's amazing how much, whenever I go to think about it, how just how far I have allowed my rib cage to kind of settle forward. Talk about what that's doing and why you you mentioned lung capacity. Talk about why that why that is so. Well, the lung capacity is definitely decreased when you're slouching forward. And also children as well with the backpacks. So it's important that, again, you practice safe tech on setting the chair properly at work. Mm -hmm. Most people lean and sit forward in their chair and they hunch over, which is a big no-no. And that's why I brought you that gift today from the Georgia yeah, Chiropractic she, she, Association. She hooked me up with a, a lumbar support <laughs> that I can use in my chair and my car, which is awesome. I'm looking forward to using that. And those are the little things that we can do to prevent injuries. So that's about educating, you know, how you sit, what you use to support your spine, whether it's on your chair or in your car, and especially for the kids that are weighing down their little spines mm -hmm. with these huge backpacks. And that's why I feel that it, this is imperative to have people's posture checked, just as you would have your teeth checked. Can, can having that kind of posture, can it can that start to have some effect on the cartilage between the bones, the, the discs in the back? And that can that lead to problems with that where they get compressed, or is that more of a in-motion or weight-bearing kind of injury that tends to occur? Well, I think that this all plays a huge factor in spinal health and spinal hygiene, and uh, it, it can be related to it. So it's just very important to have your spine checked regularly as you do other parts of your body. And from what I understand, uh, Leanna, you're, you're a board member with the Georgia Chiropractic Association, so you're very much involved with uh, the current evidence that's coming out that affects your space and uh, disseminating that among the practitioners around the state. And uh, talk about the resource. There's a website, from what I understand, if folks are having some neck, back um, yes. you know, type issues or pain that there's a place they can go, find somebody that's reputable um, and, and get linked up with a, a, a chiropractic uh, doctor close to them. Absolutely. As a board member of the Georgia Chiropractic Association, we want people to become aware of having their posture checked, they and their children. And for more health and wellness tips, I want you to visit findgeorgiachiropractors.com where you can, by location, look for a Georgia chiropractor that is a member of the Georgia Chiropractic Association, which is the oldest and largest chiropractic association in the state of Georgia. So for someone reputable that knows about posture, because chiropractors are highly trained in looking at posture on children, on adults, on seniors, on athletes for peak performance. So again, I want you to go to findgeorgiachiropractors.com and on there we have posted many photos so that people can look and see what the factors are in practicing safe tech. Now, it's been all over the news about tech 
neck. And we've got pictures posted on there so that you can see that forward head tilt right. and, and how it affects everything. People walk around like that all the time. I do it sometimes yeah. now. And parents are just not aware that even kids, did you ever want your own kids when they're playing video games their head is moving back and forth back and forth almost as if they're on a roller coaster ride so it's very important that you go to the website of findgeorgiachiropractors.com where all these photos are will be posted in honor of national posture awareness month and as, as she said, May is National Posture Awareness Month, so <laughs> I know, I, like I said, I've been thinking about it already just because I've just begun to realize just how poor my sitting posture is. And give yourself a break, sit up straight, think about your posture, and, and certainly think about it when you're sitting there staring basically at your belly button for a long period of time with your phone or your laptop or your iPad, whatever it may be, in your in your lap. Try to hold it up a little bit closer so the strain on your neck is not quite so severe. So I look forward to having Dr. Cart come back to the studio. She's going to join us May, uh, June 30th on the show. We're going to get a little bit more in-depth into what are we doing in the chiropractic office because it's probably a little bit more than you think as it relates to the health of your neurologic system, which obviously is the driver for our whole body and everything that's happening. So I'm looking forward to getting a little bit more into depth about what it is we're, we're going for when we go to seek chiropractic help. Absolutely. And um, I think that chiropractic is a wonderful way to stay young. People are living longer. They want to live a healthier life. And posture is definitely the key in wellness and living a life where you don't come home from work feeling stiff and achy. You know, many women wear high heels each day. And we know that that puts a, a tremendous amount of strain on the entire posture. So we also have posted some pictures about that as well at GeorgiaChiropracticAssociation.com. Your chiropractors are known, as you said, for ne neck and back pain, but there's so much more than That's that. That's right. And um, it's very important that we become aware of our posture on a daily basis. Many, many women have these huge handbags that they constantly carry on their shoulders. Probably on one side. Absolutely. And then they're carrying a baby on the other side and then the high heels. So those are issues that... Um, are done daily, and it's very repetitive on the structure. Uh, and men, of course, I don't want to leave you out. Wallets in the back pocket on the same side each day, driving, sitting at that Making desk. You have a different angle on yes. your hips there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that also contributes to how people um, sit at work. And again, you can see all these pictures at Georgia Chiropractic Association's website for findgeorgiachiropractors.com. And then tell them where they can go to find uh, information about Northwest Chiropractic, your particular practice over on Hal Mill, in case they're having some issues they need to be seen or want to get some more information about you. Sure. My website is uh, atlantapainrelief.com. And if you have any questions or you have a hard time finding someone, I'd be more than happy to help anyone with that. But really, I, I would say findgeorgiachiropractice.com will have all the photos and all the information on licensed members of the Georgia Chiropractic Association. And you can get great information on her website. There's some videos there. She's got some stories about uh, different patient cases that she's worked with. Uh, so you can probably find somebody who's been dealing with something that you've been dealing with. 
Dr. Card, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to stop by the studio in the middle of your day. I know you've got patients to see, so we'll get you back to them. But thanks so much for stopping by letting our listeners know that uh, coming up in May is National Posture Awareness Month. I know I'm going to be thinking about it. Hopefully our listeners will, too, uh, to their betterment. So uh, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All and right. remember, go to findgeorgiachiropractors.com to look for your chiropractor in the state of Georgia. And check her out on June 30th at 2.30. She'll be back on Top Docs here in just a few weeks. We'll see you then. Thanks so much to our guests today, uh, Dr. Puglisi and and, uh, and his two guests, David Baird and uh, Karen Huppert's telling their story about Lyme disease and, and uh, in fact, their situation as it turned into chronic Lyme disease. Uh, make sure if you're going to a physician for care and you're having a hard time, you're trying to get uh, diagnosed with what may be going on with you, or maybe something just doesn't feel right about what you're being told, get a second opinion, get a third opinion. It's important because uh, issues like this, particularly with infections like Lyme disease, the longer you go between the time you're exposed to the time you get retri- your, your, your treatment can really significantly impact uh, how well you respond to treatment when you finally do get access to it. So make sure that you're asking questions, go online, ask for places that you can go to get information that is valid and credible. Um, thanks to Dr. Leanna Cart for stopping by the studio to talk to us about National Posture Awareness Month coming up in May. Make sure you're thinking about sitting up straight. I'm doing that right now. Um, so we look forward to seeing you all here with us next week. Make sure you make an appointment to see us same time, same place. See you then. <laughs>